This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Welcome to the Candid Life podcast, where we turn our broken hallelujahs into melody lines of impact. And I am your host, Lydia. Today on the Candid Life, our topic is YOLO. I know you've all heard it before. You only live once. My mom always said, Lydia Capadium, which means seize the day. And that was something that I grew up with. And today we are so blessed to have my niece, Molly Akoswa Jensen, a vibrant, intelligent, innovative, and progressive young woman who is living life with intention. She is also the CEO at Afripods, a pan-African podcasting platform based in Nairobi, Kenya, with the vision of building the largest library of African audio stories on the planet. Molly, welcome to The Candid Life. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's an honor to be a guest on on a podcast, and it's certainly an honor to be on your podcast. So I'm really excited to get into this topic. I think it's going to be a great conversation. That's great. You know, I know I know you, um, you know, personally, because you're my niece, but I just really felt that this podcast should be through the lens of people getting to know you, not just as the CEO of this amazing organization, but just as a person. So I really would love you to just be comfortable. When people get to know you, Molly, who are they going to see? Who are they going to meet? That's a intimate question. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's so much easier to put yourself in the lens of work or mm-hmm. what you do um, rather than who you are, because a lot of who you are is steeped in morals and values and traditions and so many of these things come from your childhood and Mm -hmm. everyone has had so many different experiences growing up but for me I think I have been really really lucky I traveled the world I enjoy doing adventurous activities so I've done skydiving I've done hang gliding I've done parasailing I've I've done ziplining I've done everything you can do I am a planner. You know what I mean? I I like to be detail oriented. I like things that have a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, I hate surprises. (laughs) I like knowing when the surprise is coming. I went to school in DC. Mm -hmm. I was a goalkeeper, which is a very important detail. detail. See these type of people, goalkeepers, we're our own breed. We're actually (laughs) a psychotic group of people. If you think about it, because the way I learned I was a goalkeeper or became a goalkeeper, my mom was coaching my brother and my sister on two different teams and I wasn't getting any attention. So I was like, I'm going to play soccer too. But (laughs) for your listeners who don't know, I'm quite tall. I'm like just touching six feet. And if you've ever seen a tall child try to run, it's like their legs and their arms are not matching up. So I'm running like a little baby giraffe. And I have glasses, so I have my little Rex specs on, I'm sledding, I'm not breathing right. And so I tried to be a midfielder and um, clearly I couldn't run. So I said, put her in the goal. And I was like, I'm not going in the goal. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And um, then they put me in the goal and someone shot a ball and I blocked it like because it was coming to my body. And everyone's like, she's a goalkeeper. And I was like, I'm never doing that again. And they're like, most people's natural reaction is to run out of the way <laughs> when something comes at them and yours is to block. And I was hmm. like, no. Fast forward the next week, my mom got me a goalkeeper trainer. And then I started training insanely intense, hmm. insane. And then I went division one. <laughs> so that's amazing. Yeah, uh, like you said, you know, like you said, I mean, when the ball's coming, I'm running the opposite. There's such a, a sense of intimidation when you have something coming at you. So for you to block, it takes a lot of, um, do you have to reset your mind to not be afraid of the ball? Or, I mean, how does that work? See, the, the thing is, I had no idea what I was doing, right? That's very like, <laughs> that's a a true test, you know, very, very, like that was a reactionary test. Who knew what I was going to do? Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many times in my life I've been put in situations that we got to see exactly who I am as a person, right? So you don't really get the opportunity to see what will happen until it happens, right? Mm. Will you lift up the car when the Mm. baby is underneath it? Will you run to the cops? Mm. Will you chase a robber? Will you fight? Is your reaction fight, flight, or freeze? And I'm really fascinated by neuroscience. I've spent a lot of time since the pandemic um, doing my best to understand the brain, doing my best to understand the nervous system and tap into that quantum and spiritual space because life is not understood by anyone. And we have such incredible resources and more information than any previous generation, Mm -hmm. but there's still so much we don't know about the brain. And the best doctors will tell you, I've seen what you have, but I don't know what it is. And what I mean by that is that everything is changing, everything is evolving, right? Mm -hmm. And our bodies are some of the most dynamic, incredible, complex systems that we're lucky to know the smallest bit about. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm really fascinated by the brain to say, (laughs) knows what I would do. If I was to be put in the goal now, I'm sure with my skills now, I would be excited. You would be excited, yeah. Any high adrenaline activity, you just don't know until you know. That's right. I think you've really said a very important thing. You know, we never really truly know how we are going to respond to something until we are actually forced to face that particular thing head on. And so I'm I'm wondering, so you went to George Washington University. You studied uh, business marketing. Why did you go into marketing? Why business marketing? Oh, wow. People don't usually ask me that. Um, College was interesting because I always knew I wanted to study marketing. I remember being in high school and I would look at magazines, like those teenager, young woman magazines. Imagine the, the Vogue, the Essence, the Cosmopolitan the glamour, those magazines. And I was so enamored by the advertisements, print advertisements. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, how cool is it that you can sell something that you can affect like someone's brain. It was really consumer behavior 
that fascinated me. It was really, how do you get someone to do something you want them to do? Mm-hmm. How do you understand what they need so that you can provide a solution? Or how do you get them to believe this is something that they need? Hmm. And marketing is interesting. You have the product, you have the placement, you have the language, you have the the visuals, you have the installations, you have the advertising. There's so much that goes into it. And so I attended GW with the acceptance into the business school. I knew very clearly what I wanted to do. And when my first marketing course came my junior year, I remember sitting in that class being like, I love this. Okay. <laughs> and it felt so good to know. I I was ready to know. And I, I loved my courses. But I will say, at freshly 33, as of last week, I had I known I wanted to be a neuroscientist, my life would be different. <laughs> it probably would be. I will ask you probably, how would it be different? I mean, you don't know until you know. There but you I go. would assume... <laughs> That I would probably have journals or I would be writing articles or potentially have a book. I think what would be so cool would be to be doing research on the cutting edge of what I believe is the most exciting science in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we will know. So just having that marketing um, element in your life and also the business, it was very easy then to move into Afropods. Just share really briefly how you came to be the CEO of Afropods, just in a nutshell. Sure. So I moved to Kenya uh, in early January of 2020, right before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it was my first time living on the continent. I had visited a couple of times previously but I was living on the ground and I wanted work that I felt was meaningful and that I would spend my time doing something important and valuable. And I wanted that work to be tied to people on the ground. And I was not willing to compromise. I knew I didn't want to go into sales. Mm -hmm. I've had a successful previous career in sales and I wanted a skill I could develop a little bit more. So it's just something different. So I knew how exciting the audio opportunity and the tech opportunity was globally. And I knew how underrepresented has been in many verticals, especially from um, a financial opportunity perspective in startups and also from a visual perspective in terms of people knowing what's going on, right? The access, people people have a very preconceived notion of what's going on on the continent. And I would say that it's got to be PR because the Africa I live in is very different than the Africa you grew up in, Lydia. As CEO, you're traveling a lot and so you're seeing a lot as well. Uh, so anyway, fill us in on the new Africa, if you care to. It's so vibrant. Mm. I feel so privileged to be able to live in Africa. It's far from my my home community mm-hmm. and what I know and what I'm comfortable with and the people I love. But at the same time, it's such an incredible place. There's an expression, the community shows up when you need it, right? So anywhere you are in the world, when you need something, people, I believe they're inherently good. And so they show up when you need them. And 
I think the thread of what makes Africa unique and what makes Africans unique is they understand this concept of community. It really is a thread in daily life, in business life, in, in professional life, in relational life. And it's very different than what I've seen living and working in the United States. So I love the biodiversity of the continent. I get to travel. I've seen, I mean, Kenya is incredible. You have phenomenal bush and safaris, beautiful coastline right above Zanzibar. And the, the East African region is just spectacular. Indian Ocean is warm. You have mountains. You have Kilimanjaro right there in Tanzania. You have I mean, lakes, you have rivers, you have desert in northern Kenya, you have literally everything. And that's just Kenya. Forget going to other parts of the continent, whether it's seeing the pyramids in, in Egypt or seeing Table Mountain in South Africa or experiencing the heat in West Africa or the vibrancy of the people and the colors of the clothes and, and just the life there's so much life in West Africa and it's, it's been exciting to get to know, you know, my mother's land. Right. And it's, it's really cool. I'm, I, I think this period of my life has put me in some of the greatest positions and opportunities I've ever been lucky to experience, whether it's been professionally or personally. So I feel right on time. That's good. I actually came across a quote to you. One of those influences now, sister, you are, Oh no. We are having We're, quotes what? here. We're having quotes. It's crazy. It Imagine. says, I am Molly Jensen. I believe podcasts would be a natural fit for a continent full of storytellers. And I thought, yay, go ahead, niece. I, I remember you shared a story uh, about my dad, um, grandpa, of course. The story that he shared when you went to England to visit one time. Wow, you really did your research. You know, that festival is coming up. That's the African Media Festival. Go ahead. Got to do I, work. <laughs> I was surprised myself they found that quote because I, I was like, did I say that? I did say that because I say that all the time. But I was like, when did I say that to you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I oh my God, I'm really excited for that festival. It's in Q1 of uh, 2023 in Nairobi. Mm -hmm. But the quote that you're talking about is really a story about mm -hmm. my grandpa bullying me <laughs> no not really bullying but really I mean I was visiting grandpa in England and I remember we had friends growing up I must have been young I must have been like eight years old maybe nine and we were hanging out with kids in the neighborhood and I asked grandpa can I have a little bit of money to get this candy and he pulled me really close to him I definitely thought he was just going to give me the money, but I realized very quickly he was about to give me a lesson. <laughs> I knew. I didn't know if I was going to get the money, but I knew I was going to get a lesson. And he said, if your hand is empty, ask your pocket why. And then let me go with no money. And I thought, what does this mean? <laughs> and it's so interesting because there's so many fables and stories across the continent and I think something that I will say West Africans do really well is they talk in riddles. They talk in riddles. Like every story 
has a fable attached to it. And then the more you sit and think about that, the more you see it in what we know as prominent African culture that's, you know, globally visible. For for instance, an example I use a lot is Black Panther. So Killmonger is the villain in that story. And when you look at Killmonger, his story is a very famous West African fable. It's the boy that's not embraced by the village will burn down the village to feel its flame. When I realized this, I was like, wow, (laughs) we are, we can't help ourselves. We can't help ourselves. It wasn't grandpa's fault. This is the only way he knew how to communicate that I was not getting this money because I should have been more responsible with the money I had before. And I think that's what he was intending on saying, but you know, we'll have to find out at the pearly gates what he was talking about. (laughs) Like, that will be my question. That is so powerful. I mean, that is so powerful. Yes, my mom has always, you know, thrown these little riddles. They really make you think a lot deeper than just, you know, surface things. I I don't think I really experienced any of that growing up or listened to any of that stuff when I've been here in the States. Yeah, I have a question. Do you feel like, do you speak in riddles yet? At what age does it start? I don't for mine to come. I don't I don't speak in riddles. And I think part of the reason is because I just didn't grow up in that culture. Mm. You know, so I, I think I've missed out on that. <laughs> you know, missed out on that privilege. I didn't grow up in that culture, so I don't speak in riddles. It's that's you it's know shame. I was gonna ask because I don't know how people come up with it. Me neither. It is not uh it's an amazing thing to see, right? Like, it's an amazing thing to just be like, wow, you're so intentional with your words. Mm, How did you do this? Mm, but mm. then at the same time, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't really have any riddles. I mean, well, then that's good to know. I won't wake up one day and just start, <laughs> you know, speaking in a in a manner that people have to really think about but I'm glad that you pull my quotes and my quotes give you that but I think you're I think if you're around it all the time and you you get it you it becomes a part of you grows on you right and you just follow in the footsteps of those who have gone before Mm. and so it's easy to just you know just carry on with that but you if if for whatever reason you're not in that environment where that is happening you miss out on the on the on the gift of being a riddler <laughs> if that's the word <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know if that's a word but whatever this is my first experience podcasting and I thought oh, I'm so green I'm so green how do I do this just reaching out to Gothani who is one of the people on your team was such a life changer for me because she went above and beyond to make me feel comfortable. And she walked through every single step uh, I needed to um, follow through in order to get onto the platform. I had the podcast, like I said, I was green. I was stepping out in faith and just having Gothani just hold my hand and walk me through was a very powerful thing. And it just reminded me of the quote by Maya Angelou that people forget what you say, what you do, but how you made them feel. And I really believe that Gothani, who is part of your team, made me feel special and made empowered me to feel that I could actually do something with Afripods. And now I've been 
podcasting for almost a year. And so I just wanted to, you know, congratulate you for building a team around you of people who really do value uh, customer service and they are doing a phenomenal job. So keep up. Wow. I'm going to have to tell her. So Gathoni is our community manager. Mm -hmm. And so she deals with the podcasters, her job and her, the space she takes up on her team is huge because it's representative of podcasters in Africa. When we have a meeting, she is the voice of those podcasters because she's constantly speaking to them. She knows what they need. She knows what they want. She knows where their problems are. She knows where they're going. And that's a huge, huge, huge space that needs to be filled. And like I've told you earlier, I believe community is so fundamentally important in Africa. And I think that's like the thread in business and in personal lives and in day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. So that is a huge compliment. I know she's going to be really, really excited to hear that. And I agree with you. It's how people feel. It's how you leave a situation because there's so much that's not said in communication. It's not the verbal that actually is most powerful, right? It's something like 30% of communication is verbal. And the other 70% is nonverbal. It's in your body language. It's in your tone. It's in it's in your, your response time. It's in your uh, punctuality. So I think that's a huge compliment. There's nothing that I could do by myself. And having a team means that you all know that you're building the same thing together. And having a team that is good is knowing that everyone on the team knows that they can fail and that we can grow together, especially in a startup. So I feel really, really grateful to have all of the people on my team who are on my team working together. And I hope that we continue to build something really important and powerful on the continent. That's great. Molly, I came across this quote by George Bennett Shore who said, life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. Life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. And I was curious to know whether you can connect that quote to your life in terms of what 2022 has been for you. Wow. 2022 was a very challenging year. Mm. <laughs> um, I think every year has its challenges, but I am very proud of how I react to the things that happen in my life. And what I mean by that is that I have a plan. I come up with a plan and I put myself in what I believe is the best position to be supported or the best position to get exactly what I need. So when life is not just happening to you, it's about creating. And I'm a really strong mental health advocate, but if there's something that's challenging that's happening, I am very open to being like, I need therapy. So for instance, my team knows that Tuesdays at 7 p.m. I'm unavailable. If you die, you will be dead <laughs> at eight o'clock. I am not available. I am a huge 
fan of Pilates. I go two to three times a week. A friend of mine told me a stiff body is a stiff mind. Mm. And he took it as just stretch, just touch your toes. Walking is just putting one foot in front of the other. And there's a really powerful message in walking to put one foot in front of the other. So I think creating life is about the decisions you make when you're forced to change, right? Mm -hmm. You don't just change because you want to. You change because you learn something and it's put you in a position where you want to be like that or you change because something has happened and you're forced to change. And I think either way, you're, you're going to be positioned with a decision. And what decision you make impacts your life. It's like the butterfly effect. You could have had a hundred different types of lives by now. I could have been living in the States. I could have been working at a company. I could have started a company. I could have done a hundred different things if I followed any one of these different decisions I made, but I'm in this decision. And so my next decision is going to impact the future of my life and the, the trajectory I continue to go on, whether that's where I buy a house or who I have as a partner or where I decide to go on vacation. Mm-hmm. You just never know what every decision in your life is going to lead you to. So I, I think if I look back at 2022, I'm very proud of the decisions I made. I'm very proud of how I reacted to conflict and problem and chaos. I'm proud of the position I put myself in to take care of myself, whether it's through Pilates, through uh, therapy, through community, through putting putting myself in a position to be like, hi, I need help because mm. all of us do. I, I know that's true. Is there one particular moment that you would be willing to just share a little bit of what happened and what steps you took to set yourself up in a place where people could come alongside and support you like you're talking about? I'll give you my most recent situation. So there's been a lot of political instability in Kenya since there has been a change in president. So that means that the chief secretary for security and the planes close officers and stuff, they're all changing with the new regime. I was in a car. It was raining. I had just finished Pilates. I, I tell myself three things I'm grateful for every day. And there was these rain flies that were flying everywhere. It looked like the rapture. It was crazy. Like there was rain flies everywhere. So I get in the car. And as soon as we get closer to the city, I roll down my window a little bit to clear the condensation from the car. Long story short, someone snatched my phone. And I, yeah, you didn't know. I can tell. In the car? Yeah, my phone got stolen. And I have never been robbed or anything stolen from me. So I lost my mind, right? I didn't make the right decisions, da-da-da-da-da. My phone, I had a backup phone, um, an older phone, but, you know, it's a violation of privacy. And also you feel just, it's like safety, you know what I mean? You feel nasty afterwards. So what I did in that moment, um, I went to the police station and I called someone who was really close to me to come get me and come make me feel safe. I got a new SIM card from that person so I could put my like backup phone in use so I wasn't just off the grid and not feeling like I couldn't communicate. When they came to get me, I was like, I need to get some tea, right? I needed tea. I was, I needed that. And they 
made sure I was good, had my tea, brought me back to my place, made sure all the doors were locked, made sure I felt safe, made sure I was comfortable, um, checked on me the next day. And I think in that situation, something really challenging happened to me. And I knew immediately, okay, what do I need to do? Whether I get the phone back or not, I need to report it because it's going to make me feel like I did something. So I went to the police officers, right? I knew they couldn't help me, but that's okay. I was tracking my phone on Apple. I never got it back, but I was tracking it. So I was doing something. Mm -hmm. I knew I didn't want to be alone in that moment. And I was trying to think, who do I trust the most to show up for me? And I was able to call them and they showed up for me again, like another thing I needed. Then like I needed tea. I knew, hey, I need tea. I need this. So they got me some tea and and then took me back and made sure I felt safe. And it's I know that's like an example of like, wow, that's a little heavy. But the thing is, the only time you can really assess your decision making in terms of what you need is when things are heavy. Right. Like it's when you're forced in a situation that you you have to do something you never thought you would have to do or you never wanted to do or you never thought it would happen. And I definitely, you know, went to bed that night and I told myself the three things I'm grateful for. And they were, I'm grateful I got to go to Pilates. I'm grateful I wasn't harmed. Mm. Just my phone was taken. And I'm grateful that someone showed up for me that I care about. And so even I remember those three things because I remember going to sleep being like, wow, I must be evolved. <laughs> this is crazy. This is crazy. How? I, you know... <laughs> So yeah, I'm very proud of how I respond and react to things because, you know, I could have been upset. I could be upset today, but Mm. life is so short. It's almost, Mm. it's almost asininely short. We don't get enough years to do all the things we want to do and live all the lives we need to live. I'm listening to your story and I'm thinking, you know, this girl is seeing life as, you know, the glass is half full, not half empty. And that is the reason why you can take that moment that you just shared and still go to bed and be grateful because it was a bump in the road. Mm. Right. It Thank you for that. In the road. I mean, the whole day wasn't bad, right? It was just that moment, that moment. But because you took, you were intentional about the things that you could control, right? You were able to go to bed and say, well, I'm thankful for A, B, and C. Well, I never was like this. I mean, I definitely was forced to become more like this because I had really, 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 really challenging situations come up. And I hate relinquishing control. It is the most uncomfortable thing. I hate it. I want to know everything. I don't want any surprises. I want to be fully aware I don't want to not know. I don't like uncertainty. And the thing is, I was put in a situation that no one knew what was going on and everything was uncertain. Mm -hmm. And it was, it broke me down consistently because I refused to believe that we could just not know. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) you realize it's not quite like that all the time. And I realized then that's really what got me into neuroscience. I realized then that, you know, the smartest people in the world know that they don't know that. And like, and specifically, I think when, when it impact, one of the 
they talk like what, what's one of those things when you watch people get older, when you watch health deteriorate, when you watch people deal with chronic illness, when you watch people go through things that affect their body, right? Our body is one of the most insane complex systems, but when you get sick, hmm. even if it's just a flu and you can't make it go away with just one pill, <laughs> you're out of control <laughs> and you can't, you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are so many things you could have done pre- preemptively, whether it's eat different things or go different things, but sometimes it's just out of your control. And I've seen that happen to people close to me mm-hmm. and I've seen people be put in situations that they just, they have to surrender. Yeah. And when you think about meditation, it's like the act of surrendering. It's mm-hmm. just stilling your mind. And like, every time you come to a thought, come back to the breath. And so, yeah, I, I am a work in progress when it comes to releasing control and becoming comfortable with uncertainty. And I definitely think I still hate it. (laughs) I definitely think it's not something that I look forward to being vulnerable and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, acknowledging that things aren't okay. Mm -hmm. But I also in that, in that surrendering, I've figured out the tools that I need to tap into Mm -hmm. when things are bad. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, I know, okay, chaos is happening. Therapy needs to be happening. Pilates needs to be happening. I need to be walking. I need to tell people I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. I need to be out in public so I have community. And like, you need to know that about yourself. Cause let me tell you, you're not getting out of this life unscathed. And the only thing promised is one day you're gonna die. So <laughs> maybe Man, you should you make have, it sound so bad. <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe you should have a plan to take care of yourself. Maybe you should like sit with yourself and figure out what it is that you need. I, I went to the library recently and I got some books, I forgot that I loved the library growing up. I went into the library. You know, I forgot I did French one-on-one tutoring. I used to do it in the back of the library with a tutor. There's so many repressed memories. And I think that if you know what you need and what you like, and as you grow older, those things could change or those things become different. You are constantly in this process of loving yourself and learning how to give yourself exactly what you need when you need it. And I know how to give myself what I need. And I I think that that's, at least in this moment, I know how to do that. And that's something to be very proud of. Yeah. And I think it's something that you're being very, very intentional about, really. I remember when, uh, you know, when before grandpa actually passed away, I was at the hospital and I met a lady who, well, prior to that, my mom had been talking about how grandpa had been talking about um, having faith every time he came down, having faith. And, I, and mom, mom said, what does he mean by having faith? You know, do I not have faith? He was one of those, right? And I went to the hospital and that evening, the nurse who was on duty, I asked her a name and she said her name was Faith. No, it wasn't Faith. It was Faith. It was totally Faith. And when Imagine. She said, I'm serious. When she said Faith, I was like, what? And that evening, I, as I was going to lay down, because I was laid down, you know, I was in a separate bed next to my dad, I knocked against the catheter back. And so I thought, oh, is everything okay? Checked and it was fine. Lay down, woke up the following morning, put my feet down and it was wet. And I thought, huh, what's, what's going on? So I'm checking the bag. Is there something wrong? And 
I couldn't make any sense of why this was there. And so I called Faith, she came in. And so I'm having this dialogue, open dialogue in my, you know, asking questions, how did it get the blah, 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 and everything. And then she stopped me and she said, you know, sometimes you want to understand everything but we don't have to because there is someone who understands it all. Mm. Ah, so one of those- uh, She dropped like, bars on you. Man alive. And I remember when she said that, I just felt this chill of, I know I want to understand what's going on right now, but sometimes you just have to give it up and recognize that there's somebody who sees the bigger picture. And I just felt such a sense of peace. And like you said, you know, relinquishing control is such a hard thing. We want to try and be in control of everything, but the reality is it's not always possible. You know, we are really all in control of what we can control. The other things are beyond our control. And so we work with what we've got, right? And trust that things will fall into place accordingly. So, but I love the fact that you're very intentional about setting things up. Yeah, because I still need a plan. You if I know, I mean, if I know just, it's I mean, going to be chaotic. Just, it's true. You can't just go through life without a plan. You need to have a plan. Some and I, I love the fact. I mean, some people do, but it's is that really people. the best way to go? But I love the fact that you're very, very intentional about your living. I mean, that's exactly how grandpa showed us. He was very intentional about his living. And so seeing that uh, example as a grandchild, you know, <laughs> following granddad's footsteps about his intentionality, his gratitude his love his storytelling and everything else it's beautiful to actually see you following in that footsteps but in a global scale i think it's pretty cool uh i'm curious so how has your family responded to uh what what's going on your successes but just how have they come alongside you and supporting you over the years and now well i'm lucky to have such a dynamic family right so I feel supported on all sides. I don't think that you can do anything well and like live with love in your heart without having a community around you. But my family, what I love about my immediate family is that they're like steamrollers. <laughs> and what I mean by that is you better not mess with me because they will run over you. <laughs> you know, like... um where we're serious about our people like we take care of our people mm -hmm. and I think that's a cool thing like you know we got our each other's backs mm -hmm. and so I don't really sit and get all of the accolades like wow you're so incredible and <laughs> I'm so proud of you and you are phenomenal but I know I know and I I see it in actions right I see it in the support mm -hmm. I hear it through other people Mm -hmm. um I'm I I hope I make the people around me really proud and I feel like I've been given so many opportunities that are different than what both of my parents had mm -hmm. and what my aunts and uncles had and I live this lifestyle that must look insane <laughs> and I I want people to be proud of me that I've used all of the access and resources and money and sacrifice that people before me gave to get to this position. 
Like you can't do this without stepping on the shoulders of giants. There was a lot of sacrifice that was given for me to be able to exist. And that is before my mom. That is like grandma and grandpa. I've been to the villages they grew up in. The villages. I'm like two degrees. I'm two degrees from the village and I go to regular therapy. Like, think about that. Think about that. It's the village was like four hours on a bumpy road. It wasn't just the outskirts, you know? And I think even before that, imagine their parents, like grandma and grandpa made it from villages to a main city. From a main city, they had kids. Then they went abroad. Then from abroad, now I grew up in a, a suburb in New York. And now I get to like run a business and be vocal about the things that matter to me. I don't live a, a very traditional lifestyle in terms of what people might expect from a woman. I have that privilege and I get paid. That's amazing. That's amazing. Like I can, I know exactly how to take care of myself. And not only do I know how to do it, I can afford to do it. Mm. Mm. I, I couldn't be more grateful. So I think when you ask, what does my family think? I think my family is amazed. I think I'm equally amazed, but I'm also amazed at all of my family before me because this this culmination of me couldn't exist without my mom. It couldn't exist without my grandparents. It couldn't exist without their parents. Like this, this is a series of events that got like I could have, I could never exist. I'm a one in a billion person, just like you, just like the person down the street. We are all little miracles. I know that sounds so corny, doesn't it? No, it does not. It doesn't actually sound corny. I mean, no, it is true, though. We're yeah. all little miracles. We are all little miracles. And I think the biggest joy is when we are able to create miracles for others as well. Yeah. Cheers to that, right? Amen. Cheers to that. Cheers oh, to let that. me go create a miracle today. Go ahead. <laughs> And that really should be the attitude when you wake up in the morning. Hey, let me go create a miracle out there. Let me make somebody smile. Let me make a difference. Let me make an impact. And that's what you're doing. You know, that's what Thank we you. all get to do. Anytime you wake up in the morning, you you breathe in, you breathe out. And say, okay. Thank you, Lord, for life. Let me go out there and be a vessel to create a miracle for somebody else. Right. Amen. So great platform. So I'm glad that, you know, we are here rooting for you every day. Because we want you to be successful. Because as you are successful, other people around you get to be successful. And that is just a ripple effect, a gift that keeps on giving, right? So that's good. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hey, so my question for every single person who comes on this podcast is, what does it mean for you to live the candid life? Well, I think... It's just being, you know, living the candid life. It's unfiltered. It's not embarrassed. It's brave. It's soft. It's real. It's raw. There's nothing that you need to do to live the candid life. The candid life is the candid life. It's showing up as you in the world, not just what you think you need to show up as. And I think that this is a really poignant way to end because we do have so many layers, whether it's the outfit of our job right and and how we present to the world uh, the physical nature of what we look like the way we wear our hair the way we dress the the sports that we do all of the pieces that comprise us but like what is you at your core and I think that really lays down to values 
and what your core values are. And I've done a couple of like exercises in that. So I, cause I'm always curious about what mine are and what I am like and what I like from other people. But I think the candid life is just about giving yourself space to show up as you want to. You don't know what's going to happen until you're put in that situation. You don't know what you're going to be like when you're just with you and, and allowing that space to have company with someone else, like our great host, you. <laughs> wow. You know how to rub a lady's ego. Thank you, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> it's my pleasure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Molly. It's been a pleasure just spending this time with you. And family, you heard her. This woman right here is more than just the CEO of AfriPaws. She's a a woman who lives intentionally and is determined to leave an impact on the lives of the people that she comes in contact with. So I love what you said there about what it means to be the candid, you know, live the candid life just to show up unfiltered. And my hope is that as you have listened to Molly this um, during this episode, that you do the same. Show up unfiltered. Be real. Be intentional about setting yourself up for success, but going around and creating little miracles for others, right? That's what life is all about. Any final words to our people? It has been a privilege getting a chance to talk with you, Aunt Lydia, and also to be part of your listener's commute or your listener's life or your listener's day. So I look forward to listening to more of these episodes and also connecting with your community. So thank you again. It's been an honor and it's also been a very candid podcast, one <laughs> I don't normally do. So yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm very grateful. So please connect with me on livethecandidlife at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at Lydia Gago. Also listen to the podcast on the various platforms, including AfriPods. Whoop, whoop. Thank you, AfriPods, for getting me started. And listen, like I've always said, I promise you this one thing. As you listen to these podcasts, you'll be inspired, challenged, and empowered to live differently so that you can impact this generation and the next. So please tune in. Until next time, live the candid life 24-7. God bless you. Thank you, Molly. Thank you. Inaindeshwa na Afripods.